Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. In a court filing on Monday, the Trump administration's Justice Department made an unexpected argument. Monday's filing argued that the Affordable Care Act, President Obama's signature domestic achievement, is invalid and should be thrown out. The administration's choice to issue this filing just one day after Attorney General William Barr's summary on the Mueller report was surprising to many lawmakers in Washington. President Trump had been touting the Mueller report as a victory. It was a complete and total exoneration. So few expected the president to make a legal move that could change the national conversation. Because with this filing, so is brought again to the forefront a battle over the Affordable Care Act, over Obamacare, one of the very most politically and legally contentious pieces of legislation in recent history. We are going to be the Republicans, the party of great health care. The Democrats are, they've let you down. So where will this latest move leave the ACA? Can the president's court filing actually mean the end of Obamacare? And if the Trump administration is going to take such an extreme stance against the ACA in an appellate level court decision, why now, while he's riding on Mueller news that he perceives as a major political win? This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Williams. Now, Trump has been critical of the Affordable Care Act since his days on the 2016 campaign trail. Trump ran on getting rid of the Affordable Care Act because it was a big applause line uh, and then promised to replace it with something terrific without much detail. David Weigel is a politics reporter at The Washington Post and the writer behind The Post's campaign newsletter, The Trailer. He explained Trump's messaging about our country's health care system from his time as a candidate through his first two years as president. And by all accounts, he basically trusted that the Republican House and Senate would have some sort of plan when it was initiated. Remember, Reince Priebus is his initial chief of staff, Paul Ryan's the Speaker of the House. They are confident that pretty early on you can go to Obamacare and get a win for the party and, and keep things rolling. Uh, they never really had a plan. So it's never been clear what he wants. It's only clear that he likes the idea of dismantling Barack Obama's legacy. And I think that's that's been undergirding all his problems, is that instead of the policy, and it's very complicated policy, there is just a, a motivation to deliver something that would make Democrats angry. And how much of the Affordable Care Act is still intact as far as the original version? Well, almost all of it. The biggest change to the act was actually engineered by John Roberts in 2012 when they found a legal rationale to make the Medicaid expansion in the, in the law optional for states. So most states opt in, not all of them do. Every other time it's been upheld by the courts. In 2017, Congress passed a new tax law, a huge legislative achievement for Republicans. And in that 2017 Tax Cuts and Job Act, they ended the existing penalty Americans had to pay for failing to get health insurance. The Trump administration in the tax law 
uh, without saying they were trying to do this in order to destroy the Affordable Care Act, they sign off on the z- zeroing out that penalty. So it used to be that you pay an increasing penalty every year if you don't get insurance. Now you don't pay anything. And in the absence of that tax penalty, a group of conservative attorneys general then sued the federal government to get rid of the ACA entirely. Their suit said that without the penalty, the ACA was no longer constitutional. In December, U.S. District Judge Reed O'Connor in Texas ruled on that suit, deciding that the law's individual mandate can no longer be sustained as an exercise of Congress's tax power. And therefore, O'Connor said, the entire law is void. He in general will always rule for Republicans. So he, he ruled this and there was not a great tremor either from Democrats or from the healthcare industry because they just assumed, not glibly, they assumed just the rationale of this lawsuit was so flimsy that they found one judge. I mean, this happens in the Ninth Circuit too. There's stuff that, that, that a liberal judge will sign off on that's never going to survive. And we know that. That was where this picked up in December. Now, initially, in a brief last June, Trump's Justice Department had said there were grounds only to strike down some parts of the law, including the parts about protections for people with pre-existing health conditions. On Monday, though, in the legal filing that brings us to this week's news, the Trump administration changed their position. Monday's filing in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit in New Orleans says that the Trump administration now backs a complete invalidation of Obamacare. Now, intervention by a presidential administration at this level of the court system struck me as unusual. This is not typical. So the examples you've seen of administration refusing to defend a law is usually actually when a law is seen as politically outdated to the point where they're not going to take any political hit for not defending it. An example here is the Obama administration was not very zealous in defending laws against gay marriage, things of that nature. By the time they did that, those laws were not popular. In this case, you have a law that is generally popular uh, and a decision that would affect millions of people. And they're just not their current legal position is that millions of people should not have health care, that because a tax has been reduced to zero. Oops, Congress meant to destroy the entire Affordable Care Act. That is their position. That is uh, unheard of. Yes, (laughs) I think now. I'll say unheard of. I hope somebody writes in and and points to something that Roger, uh, you know, a a fight between Roger Taney and and James Buchanan in the 1850s or something. I'm sure there's there's some precedent if you look at it, but certainly not 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 in the modern era has a does administration say we're not defending this law that we're using right now uh, to to govern the healthcare system in this country. And what exactly happens if this law, if the ACA is is not defended and it goes away? More than 10 million people get health care on the exchanges, which would stop existing, or that get health care through expanded Medicaid, which would stop existing. You basically, if successful, there would be a situation where about 10 percent of the people uh, in the country, a little bit more who, get, who are on health insurance, lose their health insurance because of a judge. We certainly never had a court decide that people aren't allowed to get benefits anymore. We've not had to decide that a private public partnership like the exchanges shouldn't exist anymore. So then who made the decision for the Trump administration to support this decision by the judge? Well, the White House team's reporting at the Post is that Mick Mulvaney, the chief of staff, he was the one who thought if the administration creates an existential threat to the Affordable Care Act, that will create pressure on Congress, which, of course, is run half by Democrats, half by Republicans, to, in the middle of 2020, pass a new health care bill. 
So that was this is what baffles Republicans is the White House's plan a week ago <laughs> seen everybody to run against Democrats as the party that would take your health insurance away by expanding Medicare for everybody uh, and attacking them as socialists, et cetera. And instead, the White House is teeing up a situation where at, at best, there's I guess there's three scenarios. One scenario is that this loses in the Fifth Circuit and the Supreme Court doesn't grant cert, which means this lawsuit's dead. Even then, you have a couple of news cycles about healthcare in a way that Republicans don't like. Uh, another scenario is that Fifth Circuit says, yeah, strike the whole thing down, goes to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court rules against the Fifth Circuit. Then you have, in June 2020, a conversation about how, about how millions of people could lose their health insurance. June 2020, which is you know right before the party conventions. Third scenario is the Supreme Court kind of surprises everybody, where in, tw- in June 2020... Millions of people lose their health insurance. And the White House, in this point, I'm still trying to puzzle out their logic. I guess the argument would be, well, it's time for Democrats to pass something else with us. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. What did we learn from the 2018 midterm elections about how voters think about the ACA and and the healthcare fight? In the 2018 election, the biggest issue for most voters in exit poll was healthcare, about 43%. By three to one, the voters whose issue was healthcare voted for Democrats. They really like it. At this point, opposition to the ACA is now opposition to the ACA, if you ask about it, which used to be high, is really limited to just people who vote for Republicans. It's limited to self identified Republicans supporters of the president, independents who vote Republican, in the 40s, uh, low 40s of people say they don't want the, they don't like the ACA. If you ask about components of it, if you ask about the Medicaid expansion, if you ask about people staying on their health, parents' health plans, if you ask about protections for people with pre-existing conditions, if you ask about things like, you know, calorie men- labeling on menus, people like those. Independent, I mean, this is the, the frustration the Democrats found for themselves is that each component of this, as long as it wasn't branded Obama, was was popular. It is a popular law that people have just take, come to take for granted. And some of the the wonkiness with it that people objected to, the guaranteed issue, and a lot of the requirements that healthcare plans cover certain benefits that canceled some cheaper plans, we already kind of had that trauma. People have moved past that four years ago. So at this point, it is a popular law when you ask generally about it. And if you ask about the things it brought to the country, people are very enthusiastic. Again, just it was by far the biggest aid to Democrats in the midterm elections. Right. So then knowing that, what have we seen in terms of a reaction from the 2020 Democratic candidates? They were not talking that much about Mueller. They were not talking that much about Russia. Uh, They're proud of having to touch much about that. It was not coming up very often on the campaign trail or even in congressional town halls, if if you take it down beyond the 2020 Democrats. But healthcare was. Healthcare was. Healthcare was an issue, but it, it, was not, it, was, it was not a headline issue. And even so, you saw this week on Monday afternoon before the DOJ's letter on this on this issue, Repub- Democrats were talking about healthcare and the coverage framed it as Democrats are trying to change the conversation <laughs> because to the thing they like. Well, no, then the, the administration changed it for them. But Democrats pointed out to me, they literally, the, the party apparatus, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, and the candidates they monitor, 
no one who got out of a primary ran any ads whatsoever about about Russia and Mueller. And no one ran ads about impeachment. Most of their ads were about health care. And that was the approach that 2020 Democrats were taking. Not They're not on the, on the air yet. But the fight about health care they had is, well, we're going to either expand the ACA or go fully towards Medicare for all. And they like this in, in another way because instead of a messy intra-party fight about what to what to do with health care, they're now back on the same page defending the entire law. This was the most unified they were really in the Trump years was when they were trying to beat this law in 2017. And, and they're to an extent back to that, even though 20 people are competing against each other to become president. Let's talk a little bit about the timing of this. So first of all, was the attorney general, William Barr, involved in this decision by the Justice Department? Yes. As far as we know, he he signed off on it. He was resistant at first. The HHS was resistant at first. Again, I just I keep, I keep pointing out like they, they, they need this law to enact their policies. So they they were skeptical and they were overruled by the by the president and by the chief of, uh, chief of staff. So that seems unusual timing when the president is having this week in yeah. light of the summary written by Barr about the Mueller report's findings mm-hmm. that largely the president has embraced as positive for him. Mm-hmm. He why might he change the conversation to this health care moment? There was not a reason to do this now. And even some Republicans say that this should not have been done now. There that made no sense to do it. I'd add that the administration decided to side with the attorneys general in their in their lawsuit, but only to strike down a couple parts of the Affordable Care Act. And some people quit the DOJ over that. This one, they didn't have any career DOJ attorneys sign on to this letter. It really is just the AG speaking for the president, the chief of staff. So uh, it is hard to overrate the amount of confusion from both career attorneys and from Republicans on why this happened now. Now, again, you have in this administration some something I've I've kind of written in a lot of my political coverage and campaign coverage is you have an administration that that won 46 percent of the vote and has acted like it won 60 percent. So it, it, it does govern in, and act in lots of ways as if it, the, if the president is taking a position that pleases some, a lot of his base, it will become a popular position. So it, it has picked fights that do not make a lot of political sense because it doesn't seem to factor in the negativity it's going to get from people outside the president's base. And in this case, this is most independents and 100 percent of Democrats. So why this week? It is true that the president has felt vindicated by the attorney general summary of the Mueller report. Polling so far has shown that most of the country is not really moved on the issue. But the initial blast of TV coverage that the president takes very seriously framed it as a total victory for the president. And so they probably got a little bit more giddy than they would have because of that Mueller report, but no other reason to do this. And it comes to changing the conversation. This lawsuit was going to change the conversation. I mean, if there is a lawsuit that could get rid of people's health care, they're going to be reading about it. And, you know, investors are going to be reading about it and healthcare companies are going to be invested in it. Democrats will be talking about it. So they had this reckoning coming at some point. Uh, they might have just made it to do it this week, I think, reflected some hubris from what seemed like a great PR victory for them and a cloud lifted from the presidency to, you know, borrow a cliche. So then what do you think Trump's approach to defending this this decision is going to be? We've seen it so far. And it's just I mean, he he will have uh, rallies and he'll talk about it. So he will talk about we're going to get rid of Obamacare because it has Obama's name in it. We're going to replace it with something terrific and we're going to protect pre-existing conditions. We're going to be the party of health care. None of that really meshes with what they're doing. So 
the you have on the one hand the president's rhetoric, and then you have the lawsuit, the reality of the lawsuit and the and the DOJ position. So the president's position is just to say it's going to be terrific, and I'm not getting to the details. So I would be amazed if he does more than that. And even the people they sent out from the administration, you know, Mark Short, who is the political liaison, who's now Mike Pence's chief of staff, has said they're going to introduce something, but it's not new. So, you know, you don't have to read between the lines. They weren't really prepared to have a debate on health care. They just started one. All right. So perhaps Trump's language around this won't really change. It could. I just would be surprised because the language so far has been the same sort of hand wave. We're going to figure it out and everyone's going to like it language he's been using. And he has found politically in the past that is really not up to the political risks and and the tasks of taking on the ACA and trying to get rid of it. Uh, and that has inspired a lot of worry among Republicans because that was the, the lowest they felt. It really knocked them off their stride. Kevin McCarthy has said, although privately, he's having to say more publicly, that was the reason they lost the House. That's the reason they, pro- they couldn't win most of the swing state Senate races. And it's back. So he brought it back. They're really b- baffled by why he's doing it. So then I imagine you'll be following it closely as we get closer to the 2020 election. Well, you know, I'm, I'm really into this uh, into this new season of of uh, You're the Worst and some other. I'll, I'll find some time. I'm sure I'll, find some, <laughs> I'll find some time to cover it, I'm sure. No, on the trail, I expect Democrats to uh, continue hammering this. I'm, I'm, kinda, I'm out this weekend with Amy Klobuchar and maybe some other candidates. Uh, they've all taken statements. I think it's going to be part of their pattern. And it, the message is... Uh, you need to elect a Democrat in 2020 so that you don't wake up and feel like your health care is going to be ripped away from you again. That is a very simple message. And Democrats frankly don't have like a lot of existential dread messages. Republicans have lots. Republicans have, you know, ISIS is going to is going to threaten you. Ebola is going to threaten you. Uh, immigrants, immigration is coming to take your job or change your livelihood. For Democrats is wouldn't... It, Change the president so you're no longer afraid that they're going to sue and get rid of your health care. That is going to be part of the rhetoric, I think, of all of these candidates. All right, Dave, we'll watch for some of your coverage. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Can He Do That? If you want to subscribe to the trailer written by David Weigel, you can go to WashingtonPost.com. And if you want to subscribe to this podcast, you should do so wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Can He Do That? is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the heroic Carol Alderman, with design help from Kat Rudell-Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. 